In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The night was inky black and deathly still, a stony silence broken only by the occasional bleeding of a sheep or goat. The wind was blowing gently from the southwest, and the stars, like so many diamonds, sparkled in the sky overhead. Sleep was heavy on the eyes of these weary shepherds as they struggled to stay awake and keep watch over their flocks and herds. For them, it was not so much a matter of living as it was merely existing. And it was a hard, scrabble, and lonely existence at that. In a world where Caesars lived in opulence and reigned in power like demigods, these shepherds were at the very bottom of society's heap. They were mere mortals, nameless cogs, really, in the vast machinery of Rome's empire. They were men who had come to expect nothing from life but trouble. And they were men who hoped for nothing more from life than to simply be left alone. As they pulled their cloaks up over their shoulders to ward off the evening damp, they settled in for another long, monotonous night. Another long, weary, and uneventful vigil. And why not? After all, this was the way things were. As a matter of fact, this was the way things had always been. There was nothing to suggest to them that this night should be any different than the countless others they had known during their time on earth. No sign, no portent whatsoever to prepare them for the cataclysmic event that was about to break in on their lives. Now, as they sat there watching the shadows play on the hills just opposite, these shepherds remained blissfully unaware. Unaware of the fact that heaven itself was about to erupt in celebration. Luke writes, And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news, glad tidings, great joy. That was the message that the angels brought to those shepherds huddled together on the bluffs just outside of Bethlehem. It was a message that they and their world desperately needed to hear. And it is a message that we and our world desperately need to hear again. Tell me, when was the last time you received some good news? I mean some really good news. The kind of news that makes your heart skip a beat. The kind of news that makes you want to go out and dance in the street. I suspect for many of us, it has been some time. And if you have received that kind of news, chances are you did not hear it on Fox or CNN. And that's because the only thing that the major news outlets report these days is bad news. 
turn on the television or the radio, and it's the same story day after day. Sickness and death, financial hardship, isolation and separation, racial conflict, unjust violence, mask mandates. I'll be honest with you, I cannot think of a single event that has taken place over the course of the past two years that has not in some way or another caused division or controversy in the nation or in the lives of individuals. News? We're inundated with news. The only problem is that it's always bad news. And that is why perhaps now more than ever, we need to stop. We need to pause and listen again with those shepherds for the message of the angels. For they came to bring good news, great good news to a weary world. And it was a message of great good news for three reasons in particular. First of all, it was great good news because the angel said a deliverer had come. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Folks, that is what we are here to celebrate tonight. We can't get sentimental about this and say it's all about the birth of a baby. Babies are born every single day. This is about the birth of this particular baby, this one who has come to be our deliverer. That's why all of heaven erupted in celebration. That is why the angels and the archangels could not contain themselves. It was because God's long-promised, long-anticipated rescue mission had finally been put in motion. The old carol got it right. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Now, if that's true, we need to pause and ask ourselves, well, what has he come to save us from? If a deliverer has come, from what have we come to be delivered? Well, when the Bible speaks of deliverance, it speaks of deliverance from three things especially. First of all, it speaks of deliverance from sin. You may recall that when Joseph learned that Mary was expecting a child out of wedlock and the child was not his, he decided to break off their relationship. He decided to divorce her quietly. But an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bring forth a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Bible could not be clearer. The greatest problem that you and I have as men and women is the problem of our sin. And as someone has wisely pointed out, the greatest problem that we have with our sin is that we fail to regard it as our greatest problem. We seem to think that our greatest problem is getting along with other people, getting along with the coworkers at the office, or getting along with our family members, especially at this time of the year. Or we think our greatest problem is having enough money at the end of the month to pay the mortgage or avoiding the next strain of the COVID virus. 
But listen, those things are trivial compared to the disastrous consequences of sin in our lives. Our sin, which the Bible says separates us from God and has the potential to destroy both soul and body in hell. And mind you, it's not just what our sin does to us, it's what our sin does to all those around us. All of those things I mentioned a moment ago, what we would call society's ills, the financial hardship, the separation, the racial conflict, the unjust violence, all of those things in one way or another can be traced back to the root problem of human sin and wickedness. So we ask ourselves, well then, what can possibly deliver us from our sin? Well, let me tell you, the world can't do it. If you are looking to the world for salvation or for deliverance, you are going to be sorely disappointed. The world can't solve its own problems, let alone yours. And if you look to yourself for deliverance, you're also going to be disappointed. Because we all struggle with sin, but none of us seems to have mastery over it. The Apostle Paul understood this. He said, whenever I want to do good, evil is right there beside me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Now, the good news, of course, is that Paul knew the answer to his own question. He said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one who can deliver us from our sin. And that is the babe born in the manger. That babe who 33 years later as a man would give his life, shed his blood on the cross that you and I might be delivered from the power of sin in our lives. That's the real significance of Bethlehem, folks. Bethlehem is the first step on the road that leads us to Calvary. The manger is the first step on the road that will ultimately take us to the cross. So the Savior comes to deliver us from sin. He also comes to deliver us, the Bible says, from sin's consequence, from death. You know, they say there are two great unavoidable realities in life. Death and taxes. Well, we're certainly willing to talk about the latter, aren't we? In our society, we talk all about taxes. The Republicans and Democrats have turned it into a fine art. But while we're certainly willing to talk about that latter subject, very few of us are willing to talk about the former. Death has become a taboo subject in our day. Now, it wasn't always this way. Previous generations actually thought a great deal about death and dying. Our grandparents recognized the need to prepare for their own death. But that's no longer the case. Today, young people especially will do everything in their power to avoid the subject of death. They don't want to talk about it, let alone prepare for it. I think this is one of the reasons we have such a health craze in America today. Everybody wants to eat right and exercise, and they want to avoid bad habits like smoking, and they want to do all of this. Why? Well, so yes, they can live healthy lives, but so that they can live long lives. They can stave off death for as long as possible. But listen, if this pandemic has done anything at all, it has brought the harsh reality of death and dying to our very doorsteps. We can no longer avoid it. We have overcrowded ICUs, 
Exhausted healthcare workers, loved ones dying in isolation. COVID has proven to be an indiscriminate killer. And many people live in fear that one day it's coming for them. How about you see the wonderful message of Christmas is that we need not fear death. For that same one who was born in the manger and died on the cross on the third day rose again, trampling down death forever. This is what Charles Wesley is getting at in his great Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels, when he says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Hallelujah. So the Savior comes to deliver us from sin. He comes to deliver us from death. He also comes to deliver us from our great enemy, the devil. Tell me, who were the very first people in all of history to receive the promise of Christmas? Who were the very first people to receive the promise of a coming Savior? Well, oddly enough, it was not Mary and Joseph. It was not the shepherds out there in the fields. It was not the magi who traveled that great distance from the east. No, the very first people in all of history to receive the promise of Christmas were Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, at the time of man's fall, God spoke these words to the serpent. He said, because you have done this, that is, deceived the woman, cursed are you above all the livestock. And above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise his heel, but one day he will crush your head. And if you think about it, that is exactly what happened on the cross Satan struck Christ, bruised Christ, Christ died. But as we all know, that was not the end of the story. Three days later, Christ rose victorious. And what actually happened on the cross was not the defeat of Christ, but the defeat of Satan. Now we no longer need to fear the devil. James says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So this is the first reason why the angel's message is such great good news for a weary world. It's because a deliverer has come, a savior to deliver us from that which afflicts us, from sin, from death, and from the devil. But here's the second reason why the angel's message is such great good news. It's because the one who comes to bring salvation also comes to bring salvation. Peace. Peace. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. The angel spoke that word of peace to the shepherds who were terrified at the sight of these angelic visitors. But that message of peace was not just for the shepherds. That message of peace was for the whole world. The angels were announcing an altogether new era in human history. God was no longer coming in judgment. God was coming in peace. 
Some years ago, John Lennon wrote a song entitled Imagine, which has this line in it. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Someday we hope you'll join us and the world will live as one. Isn't that a nice song? Isn't that a lovely sentiment? The whole world, hands clapped, singing Kumbaya. But most people would tell you that you'd have to be a dreamer to believe that peace on earth, peace among men, is anything more than a fond hope. Peace on earth, really? Nothing peaceful about the protests that have taken place recently in Portland and Kenosha. Peace among men? There's nothing peaceful about a man who drives his SUV into a holiday parade and kills men, women, and children in Wisconsin. Peace on earth? Peace among men? There's nothing peaceful about a 15-year-old boy who takes a gun to school and opens fire on his classmates in Michigan. Peace on earth? Peace among men? There's nothing peaceful about the rancor and vitriol displayed by Republicans toward Democrats and Democrats toward Republicans. Peace on earth? It's very easy to become discouraged when you look at our world, isn't it? It's very easy to think it's never been as bad as this. But that's not actually the case. When these angels announced peace to those shepherds out in the fields, there were many in that day who would have doubted. Mary and Joseph, I suspect, would have been among them. The Holy Family lived in abject poverty. They didn't even have a place to lay their child but in a filthy cattle stall. They were also the victims of injustice, cruelty, violence. They had to flee as homeless refugees to a foreign land. Think about that sometimes. Homeless refugees fleeing to a foreign land to avoid a cruel, tyrannical ruler who was slaughtering the babies of Bethlehem. The first century was every bit as bad as the 21st. The Roman Empire was cruel and oppressive. The Jews were the victims of racial and religious persecution. Israel was occupied military territory. Believe me, the world was a mess then, and the world has been a mess right on down to the present day. Nothing has changed. In 1863, when our own nation was convulsed in civil war, north against south, brother against brother, the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow took up the pen and he wrote these words. They're familiar to you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And mild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And it's true. We hear a great deal about peace. We see it emblazoned in lights, especially at this time of the year. We yearn for peace. We long for peace. We work for peace. We pray for peace. But peace seems to be so elusive. 
We don't see an increase of peace. We see an increase of just the opposite, violence and misery and suffering. And why is that? Well, I'll tell you. It's because men and women in their fallen state cannot produce peace. We are too inward focused. Only God can make peace. Longfellow understood this. That's why he went on to write another stanza. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. I want to tell you something tonight, and this may be the most important thing that I say. So if you don't get anything else, get this. You can never have the peace of God. That is to say, that peace which passes human knowing. You can never have the peace of God until you first have peace with God. Again, Wesley got it right. When he said, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Wesley was reminding us of the fact that you and I, by virtue of our sin, are at war with God. That's why we pray, forgive us our trespasses, because we've trespassed on God's territory. We've knocked Him off the throne. we placed ourselves there. We want to be in charge of our own lives, the masters of our own fate, the captains of our own destiny. But here's the problem. When you declare war on God, that's a war you can't win. And when you suddenly realize it, then you want to make peace with God. But what can we offer to God that He cannot provide for Himself? What peace offering can you and I offer to Him? Which means that our only hope of having peace with God is if God, who is the injured party, makes peace with with us. And lo and behold, that is exactly what Christmas is all about. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to be a peace offering for us. St. Paul put it this way in the second chapter of Ephesians. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. When you have peace with God, all of a sudden you can begin to experience the peace of God. It is a peace which the world cannot understand. It is a peace which surpasses your circumstances. It is a peace beyond all knowing. And it's a peace that you are meant to have and can have tonight. So the angel's message is great good news. Because a Savior has come. And that Savior not only delivers us, He brings us peace. 
Hail the heavenly Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. And that brings us then to the third, and I think in many ways, the greatest reason why the angel's message was such great good news. It's because when all of this is taken to heart, when you realize that God has made peace with you and you can have His peace, it results in an unspeakable joy. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and singing glory to God in the highest. The angels erupted in singing. I wonder if you've ever noticed that Christianity is a singing religion. Did you ever notice that? We love to sing. We love music. Think about this service tonight. In your pews, you will find books dedicated. They're called hymnals to singing. There's no other religion in the world like that. Now, that's not to say that other religions don't have music and singing. They do. Islam and Buddhism have singing. But one of the things you'll notice is that it's more in the nature of a chant. It's designed to suppress the flesh or to usher you into the presence of a stern deity or whatever it may be. But if you've ever heard it, you know it's anything but joyous. But Christians, my goodness, we sing for the sheer joy of it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it this way. He said, it is an unfortunate thing for the Christian to become melancholy. For if there is any man or woman that has a right to have a bright, clear face and a flashing eye, it is the man or woman whose sins are forgiven them, the man or woman who has been delivered by God's salvation. And at no time of the year is this joyful news more apparent than at Christmas. Joy to the world! The Lord has come. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Even the secular songs can't help but get into the spirit of things. Andy Williams put it this way. He said, it is the most wonderful time of the year. Brothers and sisters, it can be for you. There is no emotion more closely associated with the celebration of Christmas than joy. And that's just as it should be. The angel told the shepherds not to fear because he was bringing them a message of good news. It was good news that a Savior had come. A Savior who would bring peace between a holy God and a fallen humanity. A Savior who would defeat sin, death, and the devil and give them the hope of everlasting life. A Savior, the angel said, who was just over the brow of the hill in a manger in Bethlehem. And roused from their slumber, those shepherds hastened over that hill to behold this thing that the Lord had done. And as they gazed on the face of that blessed child, they knew peace with God. They experienced the peace of God. And they discovered a joy unspeakable. If you've never known that joy tonight, I want you to know you can. You can know that joy, that peace, and that salvation 
if the one who was born in the manger is born in your heart tonight. And he will be. All you need do is invite him in. This was the greatest news the world had ever heard. It was certainly the greatest news that those shepherds had ever heard. In a world filled with bad news, this is a message that we all need to hear. We need to hear it again and again. We need to hear it, we need to heed it, and like Mary, we need to treasure it in our heart. That the joy of Christmas may be ours all the year through. And the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for a change. Merry Christmas. Amen.